Welcome to the podcast. I'm Carla Joy Treadway. I'm here to help you navigate nuanced conversations and explore topics that demand your attention and awareness. There is no topic off limits here. Together, we will seek to find the middle path, explore the polarities of darkness and light, left and right, grace and grit. As a writer, life coach, and seasoned yogi, I'm in the business of awareness and conscious action. I'm here to create space for the conversations that need to be had in order to create solutions that bridge the divide between humans. Sensemaking will use practical, logical, philosophical, and spiritual tools to help us gain well-rounded perspectives on issues that strike a chord. Let's get started. Hey everyone, I created this very particular podcast because I see a lot of people worried about what's going on in the financial climate of Canada. And then I also see a lot of people that are checking out from the conversation altogether. And I think the reason why I personally am doing really well is because I am staying conscious to the things that are happening around me and I'm taking action to become more sovereign, to take my power back. And finances, it's a big part of this equation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and please let me know what you think. We're talking all things Bitcoin today. Before we get into the podcast, I'm going to pay the bills, speaking of money. This episode is brought to you by The Sovereign, a wellness membership to move us forward in a world gone wild. You can experience mental health practices to keep you grounded, physical practices like yoga and weight training to make yourself really freaking healthy, and an inspirational community and workshops that will inspire in you creativity, and motivation. You'll find everything from business, financial preservation, freedom systems, nutrition, psychology, coaching, homesteading, and more. Get on the waiting list and save 50% off your membership for a limited time only. Find the link in our show notes or visit carlajoytreadway.com. Our next uh, sponsor is my favorite liquid collagen. I don't know if you know, but powdered versions of collagen really just aren't absorbed by the body at all. And when you put this amazing nutraceutical into liquid form, you get about 90% instead of 30%. There's also three different kinds, type 1, type 2, and type 3. Well, type 1 is the most prevalent type of collagen in the body and most other brands use type 2 and 3. So basically you're not getting what you think you're getting when you try other products. It's been my experience with glow liquid collagen that uh, my old and nagging joint issues are gone. It's literally been the only thing that I have changed in my physical rehab programming, and I feel substantially better. High-impact nutraceuticals like Glow can help you regrow your hair, 
help with joint pain, inflammation, gut health, and more. Shop trenaut.com slash Carla Treadway and find the link in the show notes. And last but not least, I just finished up a 30-day ultimate lifestyle transformation. You could call it a cleanse, you could call it a gut reset, whatever you want to call it, I feel amazing. All products in this cleanse are from Perium. Perium products are the greenest, cleanest superfood supplements on the market and my own personal favorite. This lifestyle transformation can help you reset your gut, lose weight, and even detox glyphosate, which is Roundup, from the body. So if you want to live more vibrant and free, you can save 25% using code JOY25. And again, find the link in the show notes. And let's get into this show. It's one thing to make money, but we're talking about saving your money. Let's get into it. All right, everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'm Carla Joy Treadway, and I have my friend with me, Erin Crawford. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Carla. Thanks. Happy to be here. Erin and I today are talking about Bitcoin, all things Bitcoin. And if you're paying attention at all, if you're not under a rock, uh, you've started to notice this conversation happening in the space as well. The reason being is our financial system in Canada is in trouble. Uh, Inflation is at an all-time high. We're looking at almost 7% inflation. Uh, We're seeing this across the globe as well. I believe today in in Turkey, they mentioned they're over 70% inflation. And people might look at a statistic like that and think, oh, well, Canada will never be Turkey. But sometimes the only difference between us and another country is time. Uh, We have the future Prime Minister, fingers crossed, talking about Bitcoin as a uh, potential solution. He's talking about our central banks and how they're doing Canadians a lot of disservice. So long story short, this conversation is happening everywhere. So we wanted to bring it here. Um, I found Aaron um, on social media. Aaron is a Bitcoin coach, a podcaster, and I have invested my very first Bitcoin. Well, I guess I said that wrong, but I've invested in Bitcoin for the very first time because of my talks with Aaron. So I thought I would bring her on the show. Um, Aaron, could you start by just giving us a little bit of an introduction about yourself and why you decided to put a lot of your energy and time into Bitcoin in particular? Sure. Um, Well... You know, basically every, every, the way I look at it on a macro scale is like every decision I've ever made in my life. Um, I've always had freedom as one of my core values. Um, 10 years ago, I started like my yoga teacher training journey. And again, like the driving value behind doing all of that was freedom, um, empowerment for people. And I wanted to use my skills that I was developing as a yoga teacher to empower other people, um, to discover their own sense of self and self-sovereignty. So, you know, fast forward 10 years, um, and 
the pandemic happening and I met somebody and we were talking about everything that was going on with the government. Um, and I was just very, you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't stomach it anymore after a year and a half. It was like enough was enough. Um, so we were just chatting about that. And he said, do you have Bitcoin by any chance? <laughs> and I said, no, but you know, I heard about Bitcoin back in 2015 on a Joe Rogan podcast and it piqued my curiosity, but that was the first I'd ever heard of it. And, you know, it's a three hour podcast and I just didn't understand it well enough to know how it was different than, you know, investing in a stock, for instance. So I asked my mom about it because she's always been um, a numbers person and very financially minded. And, and my mom had actually heard of it at that point. And she said, oh, you know, don't don't waste your money. You know, that's, uh, that's not going anywhere. So I like to remind her of that every now and then, like <laughs> if I would have invested back then, but I'd be a millionaire today. But anyways, um, yeah. So a lot of people have that story. Like you hear about it at one point and you, you know, you dismiss it, or maybe you have some, and then it goes up in price and you sell it. So it's usually a matter of, you know, learning about it once and then kind of living a little bit more of your life and just observing the, you know, the financial climate, the political climate around you. And then you just, you know, you meet that person or you listen to a podcast or whatever happens and you hear about it again and you go, ah, you know, something clicks and the light bulb comes on. So, um, you know, I've only been a Bitcoiner now for a year. Um, but again, with freedom as one of my core values, and that's always been the case, uh, I, you know, I was just ripe for the picking essentially. So that's how I know, that's how I knew that you were a Bitcoiner, um, before you knew you were a Bitcoiner perhaps because Bitcoin is a values based monetary asset and its core values are self-sovereignty and freedom. So if, you know, the people listening to your podcast, I'm going to make an assumption that they're probably of a similar uh, frame of mind. So um, yeah, it's just a matter of understanding it enough to, to, to say, yes, this is for me. Yeah. When I first heard of it as well, it sounded like something a little kooky. And then I tried to learn about NFTs and that just went way <laughs> over my head and and then I started sort of conflating the two with each other and uh, and I put it in this little pile of this is just a kooky thing and it belongs over here. And when I had mentioned this idea to uh, some of my friends that that are wealthier, that are investors, um, as I started to wake up to the financial climate in Canada, I, I started asking all these people, you know, what are you investing in right now? What are you doing with your money? Um, and I asked them about Bitcoin and they too, at that time said, oh, like, don't worry about Bitcoin, but definitely go over here and you should probably look at Ethereum or some of these other cryptocurrencies because Bitcoin is imaginary, it's a pyramid scheme and these <laughs> other cryptos, they're actually invested in commodities. They're invested in technology, they're invested in things. Um, you should definitely probably go over here. 
Um, and you know, I, I trusted these people that had already made some money. Um, and, and that's where I kind of sat for a while until I started learning more about this. So you're going to find a lot of people too, that have heard about, uh, I, I can't even list all the different coins. There are so many, Ethereum is a big one. Um, what is, what's the difference between Bitcoin and all these other coins that have been created? Well, okay. Remind me of this question because it is a very good one and it's super, super important for people to understand what the differences are between cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. I think before we get into that, I think it's important to understand how Bitcoin is different than dollars. Like it's how it's different than our current monetary system. So I'll, I'll give you the Coles notes version um, as best as I can. So up until the late 1800s, the entire globe was on the gold standard. So gold was the world reserve currency. And then banks. So the problem with gold is that it's not super easy to carry it around, right? You're not going to like walk down the street with gold bars in your pockets. So banks were created so that people could put their gold in the bank. And then the bank issued paper notes for as receipts of the gold. So you could use these paper notes, which were much more easy to exchange for goods and services, um, instead of, you know, chipping a chunk of <laughs> gold off of your gold brick or whatever. So what ended up happening, of course, over time is that the banks realized they could get away with issuing more paper notes than, than they had in that supply of gold, right? So, and that wasn't an issue. Like as long as, let's say, 100 people put their gold bars into the bank, as long as all of those people didn't show up at the bank at the exact same time wanting their gold back for these paper notes, the bank had um, like the bank had this reserve of gold versus paper notes. So in the early 1900s, 1914, nation states started to, they wanted to create their own money. So the bank still held gold but nation states started issuing their own currency. And then nation states started competing with one another to be the global currency. So gold was always in reserve, but it was these paper notes that, that were widely circulated. Um, and 1914, coincidentally or not, was the first world war, right? So we go through that period and then in 1944, just towards the end of the Second World War, interestingly enough, like the only time world wars have ever happened is on paper currency. Um, so in 1944, the US dollar became the only money in the world that was redeemable for gold. So instead of the Canadian dollar being redeemable for gold, the Canadian dollar is now redeemable for U.S. dollars and the U.S. dollars are redeemable for gold. What happened in 1971, Ronald Reagan decided we're not going to redeem any other world currency for gold other than our own. So the U.S. essentially defaulted on all of these 
agreements that they had with these other countries. Yes, we'll give you your gold back if you want it. So the monetary system became this kind of free floating um, entity. So the only thing that we have to judge the value of the Canadian dollar against is the US dollar. And these dollars are just created out of thin air, right? So there's two different schools of thought in economics. One of them is Austrian economics and the other one is Keynesian economics. And our current system runs off of Keynesian economics. And the main tenant of Keynesian economics is that money the economy is proliferated and is thriving when we are spending. Mm -hmm. So that is why everyone's in debt. <laughs> that is why we live in a credit-based society because that's how new dollars are created. Um, there's obviously a whole lot more to that story, but that's where we find ourselves today, right? And like Canada printed four times the amount of money in the past year than it's ever printed ever. It's actually mathematical, mathematically impossible at this point for Canada to ever pay off its deficit. Hmm. So, you know, the next election that rolls around, if, if any of those politicians are talking about balancing the budget, like they're just out to lunch. Um, it's been proven that it's impossible for us to ever pay that debt off. So the reason why we're indebted is because they can just infinitely print money, right? So the main difference between dollars and in Bitcoin, we have a term called fiat money. So fiat means by government decree or by government authorization. So we literally, you know, we, we live and we, accumulate goods and services using money, like government, because I say so, money. <laughs> so Bitcoin has a limited supply. That's the main difference. And that's, I think that's the most important thing for people to understand is that the supply of Bitcoin is capped at 21 million coins. And that's also the difference between Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. So all of the other cryptocurrencies do not have a capped supply. So essentially other cryptocurrencies, they take this fiat mindset of, you know, infinite amounts, infinite dollars, infinite coins printed and it, so it just takes that mindset, that fiat mindset, and brings it into the digital space. Whereas mm -hmm. Bitcoin, like its main thing is that it has a capped supply. So, so it's running off of a different theory. And, and this is what I find interesting about economics, because in, I, am, I am not an economist, but in the, in the past, I thought economics was really just math, budgeting, supply and demand, but it's not actually that it's more like the study of like human behavior and how they're going to spend and why they're going to spend and that's why you're going to get two completely different theories because it's not as simple as just budgeting is that correct in the bitcoin world that they're based on a different 
theory uh, or system of economics? Yeah, Bitcoin definitely follows um, more of the Austrian school of economics. And I am also not <laughs> an expert um, in the economy and in finances. But again, you kind of hang out in the space long enough and you do enough reading um, that you you understand enough to understand it. So uh, if, you know, if anybody listening wants to know more about um the principles that Bitcoin is kind of modeled after, then you would want to look into Austrian economics. Yeah, it's um, Bitcoin is essentially, you know, everything that happens in the fiat world, Bitcoin is the opposite. <laughs> so right. instead so of like an infinite supply, it's capped instead of centralized banks, you know, the Bank of Canada, the Fed in the States. Um, everything in Bitcoin is decentralized. Um, the fiat system is managed by people. Bitcoin manages itself. Those are like the top three things that make like it takes human fallibility out of the system with Bitcoin. Well, and in this current system, in the Keynesian system, um, I've heard that inflation is described as a good thing. We need inflation to stimulate the economy, to stimulate spending. This is a part of, of that economic theory. And Absolutely. So they're saying that we need inflation to encourage spending. But I would argue with that because human beings, A, we like to consume. That's why we have people buying bigger and better homes and trucks and brand name things. But also we have to consume to live. We need to buy groceries. We need to buy fuel. We need to buy all these things. So in the Keynesian system, inflation is good. There's just nothing wrong with it. It's it's natural. We got to keep going. What what would Bitcoiners say about inflation? Oh, uh, <laughs> what would Bitcoiners say about inflation? Well, I mean, to summarize it, inflation steals our time. Mm -hmm. um, we human beings, our most precious asset is time, right? Because we're all going to die. Um, so our time is the absolute most precious commodity that we have access to. So when we go to work, we trade our time, our lives in order to obtain money. Like money is just a representation of energy. It's energy in and it's energy out, right? So inflation devalues the thing that we trade our lives to obtain. Mm -hmm. So inflation is time theft, mm -hmm. essentially. Right. Someone could work their entire life. Say they've decided, like at this point, you probably need $2 million to retire. So they've worked their entire lives to scrape and scrounge and make that happen. Well, with the way inflation's going, all of a sudden your $2 million is worth 1.5 or even less. And that is someone with obviously a very good job, a very good career. That's not even the average person. So we're leaving the bulk of the population without means to take care of themselves 
or to ever retire or to ever own a home or any of these things. And, and I think that's why I've been interested in learning about this because I found myself really unmotivated at the beginning of the pandemic to work because I saw what was happening. I saw the government overreach and I, I started reading these things and, and noticing that we are absolutely leaning very far left, far left, which means bigger governments, less fin finances for the citizen. And I thought, well, what's the point of working if it's just going to get taken away? I'm not going to work and just have it taken away from me. And, and this is what has stimulated my interest in Bitcoin, because it appears like it is the only thing that is removed from this current system. You are correct. <laughs> I remember, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, when everything shut down and Trudeau announced, you know, the $2,000 every two weeks for CERB. Um, and then, you know, what was happening in the States, I think they got like one $1,200 check or something. And uh, you know, I remember thinking like, wow, we're so blessed that we have this government that's going to take care of us while we shut everything down. And I also had the same thought that we are going to pay for this at some point, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's no such thing as free money. Um, and, and here we are. And it's such a vicious cycle because, Things like that, yes, they do help us pay the rent. They do help us buy groceries, but it increases our dependency on the government, mm -hmm. right? So that government overreach continues to expand. And that is exactly what is happening right now. Mm -hmm. As they continue to inflate our money supply, it's going to get to a point where we can't afford gas. You know, we're already, I think in BC, like we're already getting, um, a stimulus check or whatever the heck you want to call it for gasoline. Right. So that's not a good thing because that makes us more dependent on those government systems. And it's my personal belief that they are just going to keep on doing that until the Canadian dollar, as we know it collapses completely. I mean, that's what happened. That's what kicked off the great depression, right? As the stock market crashed, people woke up, and they literally saw their savings gone. Mm -hmm. So the same thing can happen now. And, you know, not to scare anybody, like, again, this is all meant to empower people. Like you need to know the information in order to make a different choice. Mm -hmm. So history repeats itself until we finally learn the lesson to do something differently. Um, so for a minute, like that, that yeah. is, that we need to not check out from and and let's look at that let's look at what happened with sir because i also thought hey it's a good thing wow like i got all this money from like i closed my business and i got all sorts of money from the government i i applied for it i worked my ass off to get uh specialized funding to restart to build my businesses online so it felt like a good thing i could only use them for very, very specific things. But also I'm a, in a fortunate place where my husband's construction company pays our bills. As a mother, that money 
never would have put food on the table. It wasn't, it was enough money for me to reinvent myself, but it was never enough money to keep my brick and mortar business open. It certainly wasn't enough money to feed my family or pay my mortgage or any of those things. It wasn't enough. And then what happened with CERB and why did they carry it on for a year and a half too long? Like after everything was open again, that that's an, just an interesting question to sit with. Why did they keep it going? And what happens when people are dependent on the government? What happens when we are just given things? No one went back to work. So we know that that happens because we already watched it happen. So this is really important because, okay, first, I I do believe in social spending. There are absolutely people that start off at a, a different place and those people absolutely should have programs available. This blanketed system of giving it to everyone while simultaneously raising inflation creates economic dependence of an entire country. Now we have the NDP pushing like free everything, right? Like free pharmacare, we're gonna do uh, universal basic income. So on the surface, people look at that and they think, great, now everyone's gonna get the hand up but they don't actually look at, well, where's that money coming from? It's like Pierre, where's the money come from? He's the only one that's actually asking questions. Well, what does the NDP say? The NDP says, well, all these really rich people at the top, they're evading $50 billion worth of uh, taxes every year. So we'll just get the money from them and then it'll all even out. We're just gonna steal from the rich and give to the poor. Well. That's a hilarious concept because if these people have taken $50 billion of the government's money, why aren't, why isn't the government getting that money? Because they can't, because they can't. That money is an offshore account. That money has been hidden. They're never going to get that money. That money comes from the people, regular people like you and me. So inflation is going to skyrocket with a program like that everything's going to get more expensive. Your average small business won't be able to pay an individual staff member more than what universal basic income is. They'll have to close. When we look at where the money actually comes from, from a non-emotional practical standpoint, we see that what that spending does is collapse the middle class. And I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but I think that might be the point. I think that might be the point. I think you're exactly right. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and in the Bitcoin space, there are a lot of libertarians. um, There's a lot of anarchists. um, There are a lot of people that just want to do away with the government completely. And then, you know, there's also Bitcoiners who, who, do have more of a socialist mindset. You know, they do see the benefit of these social programs that we have. I believe if you empower individuals, if you give them back control and sovereignty over their money, if you give them a money that does not devalue over time, it actually appreciates in value over time, humans will self-organize. We will create our own social programs, right? Like 
look at what happens when a natural disaster happens. Like in BC last November, we had crazy flooding and there were just regular humans, you know, regular citizens, like taking their, their like fishing boats and rescuing people from their farms. And like human beings are inherently good. We work together and we need the government right now because because we're used to needing them, right? But we're used to needing them because we don't have the resources, the time, or the energy to take care of ourselves because we're all so busy working, you know, the majority of people. And then, you know, when you're not working, you're probably stressing about money. That takes up a lot of energy in people's days. And you're probably numbing out to the current situation, right? So you're like watching Netflix or drinking booze or like doing whatever it is that you do. So we are not self-organizing right now, but like I said, if we gave people back their own sense of sovereignty and their own control over their own money, we would self-organize. And those things are already happening in the Bitcoin space. Like Bitcoiners are already coming together, creating food programs, creating education programs, because we reckon like we have, we can do it. (laughs) We are powerful people and we are a powerful collective. And, you know, I think more people are waking up to this idea that we don't need mommy and daddy government to do these things for us. Do we need government? Sure. Probably. Maybe. I don't know. But we need it to be much smaller, right? Mm-hmm. We do not need the government to manage the economy. That is not a job that the government was ever supposed to be doing. And again, going back to this whole like gold standard banknote situation, our current, you know, government managing the money, that's only been the last maybe 100 years, not even of our reality. So people think like, oh, we can't change the system because it's been this way forever. It hasn't. Like money has gone through many, many, many evolutionary cycles. And this is another evolutionary cycle for money. When you look at the history of technology over the last 20 years, like we've gone from rotary phones to literally carrying like the fastest, best computers ever in our pockets. Like it's crazy what technology has done for our lives. Mm -hmm. And Bitcoin is technology applied to money. So. Well, government has a role in economics. It has a role in all these different facets of life, just how big of a role. And and I think it, it only becomes a problem when government holds a monopoly over the financial system, over healthcare, over the education system, which we're witnessing the slow creep of total control over all of these things. And unfortunately, so unfortunately, the government just doesn't do a very good job. And we've witnessed that over the last two years and in handling a pandemic and the way that they managed a healthcare crisis, it, it has a role. It doesn't do these things very well. So, 
anyone could have a power plant. Anyone could open up a bank. Anyone could open up a hospital. The problem is the government prevents that. Uh So in Canada, for example, we have socialist healthcare, which many support, and I think we should have. But privatization and a free market system always makes things better. Those things are always better. Care like healthcare in the United States for those that get it is substantially better. So what we would like in Canada, we would do best if we had both socialist health care as well as privatization. They have that in South Africa, I believe. So and here's where I was concerned about Bitcoin. Um, watching what happened in China, China said Bitcoin is illegal. It's counterfeit. We'll only take the one. So that was my concern with buying Bitcoin in Canada. What if the government tries to take a monopoly on money? We know that we're moving towards central bank currency. We know that the government wants to get rid of cash and move us towards a cashless society. Well, what if they decide it's to their benefit to make Bitcoin counterfeit? Um, then what? Can Is it something that I can't use then? What's your thoughts on that? Well, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, I don't have a lot of answers on that because, uh, you know, we're literally watching this thing happen in real time. So, you know, we can't look at previous versions of Bitcoin and go, oh, that happened to Bitcoin last time. So we're going to make sure it doesn't happen this time. So, I mean, Bitcoin has existed for 13 years and it's never needed government permission to exist. Um, I mean, the short answer is I don't know. Um, What China did was they made Bitcoin mining illegal. Um, But it's virtually impossible because Bitcoin is just a software. It, It runs on computers. It has an algorithm. So that would be like making the internet illegal. If the government were to make Bitcoin illegal, you'd literally have to make the internet illegal. Um, And technology is being developed every minute of every day um, to allow more privacy, more security, more peer-to-peer transactions that are untraceable. Like it's, it's Mm -hmm. a needle in a haystack times a million for anybody to ever be able to track you down based on uh, your transactions. So um, that being said, it, it is possible, maybe, I don't know, like the government could make Bitcoin illegal. If they do find out that you have bought Bitcoin, you know, depending on how bad things get, maybe they show up at your house with the cops or the military and they say, give us your Bitcoin. Like that's possible. What I think is going to happen, I think there's going to be freedom nation states and there's going to be communist nation states. I think we are seeing that split happen. Again, it's just kind of a matter of how rapidly it happens. So, I mean, the short answer to that is if Canada made Bitcoin illegal, I would just go somewhere where Bitcoin's not illegal. That's my feelings too. If yeah. things are not that bad, I feel like it it exists regardless. And like we see that in other countries. Um, mm-hmm. And the thing us- is too, like, sorry, just one more thing on that. Like, as more people obtain Bitcoin, 
And, you know, so they exchange their government money. They say, no, thanks. I'm going to opt out of this government money system. I'm going to choose Bitcoin. That's how the balance of power is going to tip, right? Mm -hmm. Like once the government realizes, holy shit, 70% of our population no longer uses our money. Like they're not, they don't have the same power over us once that happens. Right. So it's not going to matter if the government makes Bitcoin illegal, like, you know, well, sorry, there's 70% of your population uses it. So, you know, maybe it's you guys that no longer, you know, are applicable in this situation. Like we're just gonna, it's gonna put government back in their place, I think, but yeah. things might get exponentially worse before that happens. It's just, you know, we kind of have to wait and see. So in Canada, we are witnessing a, a slow creep towards authoritarianism. We are not an authoritarian country right now. We can still have a gay pride parade, uh, women vote, all these things. Like we, we're not there. Um, you know, protesting is kind of on the fence right now. You get <laughs> for protesting. But I, I can say with confidence, like we, we are not that yet. We are not that yet. But Bitcoin is being used in other countries like Afghanistan, for example, where women are not allowed to work. And that might be something interesting to look at, right? So we have a country where they probably wouldn't allow women to make income, yet they are. Um, can you tell us about any of these other countries where uh, people are using this particularly as a freedom system? Yeah, totally. Well, El Salvador was the first country to make Bitcoin legal tender. Um, that announcement was made last year, April of last year. Um, uh, the latest one is the Central African Republic. Um, and there are, you know, 44 heads of state just visited El Salvador um, a few weeks ago to see Bitcoin in action. So you know, these third world countries, these countries that have, you know, for as long as our lifetimes and probably our parents and our grandparents, like these countries have been impoverished third world countries, right? And the reason that they've been impoverished is because of the US dollar. Like they've, they've had to essentially take out loans in US dollars that their own local currency could never stand to pay back. And as a result, you know, the US says, well, you, you can't afford to pay back your loan. So we're just going to go into your country and exploit all your natural resources, right? So like these countries just don't stand a chance of ever getting out of poverty um, when their dollars pegged to the US dollar. So, you know, Naib Bukele is the president of El Salvador and he you know, he's young, he's in his 40s, he's kind of like the Pierre Polyev, perhaps, of El Salvador. He recognized the opportunity that Bitcoin presented as an alternative to this US dollar government debt system. And, you know, it takes a while. It's kind of a circular economy. So everybody in El Salvador was given $30 worth of Bitcoin and everybody was given these wallets to download. And once they downloaded them, the $30 just appeared. And some people are using it. Some people aren't. Um, again, it's, it's a matter of like the information getting out to people so that they understand it. And 
you know, El Salvador had their local currency destroyed um, via inflation. So they had to start using US dollars. So some of the people in El Salvador look at Bitcoin as the same thing, like, oh, you're going to take our US dollars away and you're going to force us to use this new money. Um, But that's not the case. USD is still legal there. But they have the choice, you know, they have the choice to learn and to opt out. So these circular economies are being created between all of the citizens of that country. Um, It's a bit of a guessing game at this point as to which countries are going to be next. But it's absolutely, you know, Latin America and Africa are, you know, when we think of those two places, the first thing that comes to my mind is poverty. You know, those are poor countries. Um, So it's no, uh, it's no coincidence that Bitcoin adoption is happening in those places. Yeah, it can happen either through corruption and tyranny, or it can happen through economics. So economics being and inflation gets to the point where your money is just worthless, same with like Venezuela. or corruption. I've listened to some pretty big Bitcoiners who have uh, fled communist countries. And when they fled, they were only allowed to take with them like $100 of their currency. And that's the reason they're Bitcoiners now, because they were saying, if I had Bitcoin, I would still have all of my wealth. I had to start from scratch. Um, Exactly. Bitcoin protected in that way? Why can the government take away your regular money, but why can't they get your Bitcoin? Well, because governments control the banks, right? (laughs) So the Bank of Canada, the Fed, like the government controls those banks. Um, No one controls Bitcoin, but Bitcoin. Again, it's a, it's a software, it's an algorithm. Um, It's decentralized nodes all over the world that maintain this ledger so there is no head office of bitcoin (laughs) right like there is no um ceo for justin trudeau to walk up to and say we don't like what you're doing we're gonna shut you down like it's because it's a distributed network it's it has no one point of failure right so and you're familiar now with like the differences in the in the wallets like how you store your keys mm-hmm. so you can even and those all come with like a 24 word passphrase so if you can remember that 24 word passphrase you are literally carrying your savings in your mind <laughs> so you don't even have to have the device so if someone you know if you were to go cross a border because you're fleeing your country and they say, you know, give us all of your hardware wallets, you can hand those over. And as long as you have that 24 word phrase memorized, you still have your life savings with you. So that's why like Bitcoin is permissionless and borderless, because as long as you have it in your brain, then that's all you need. Can you explain to people the difference there? Like, okay, I got this crypto app and I bought Bitcoin and it has my name and social security number and all this great. It's really easy to use this app. That and the difference between uh, the the 24 string of, of words, because most people won't know what that is. Sure. Yeah. I'll try to, to make it as easy to understand as possible. So 
there's multiple points of entry when it comes to purchasing and holding Bitcoin. Um, you know, typically an app on your phone is going to be the most user-friendly for people. The first time you go to buy, it's really easy to download an app. We all know how to do that. You know, we're all used to putting in our email address for things. Um, so the first time you buy, you know, if you put in 500 bucks and you just keep it in the app and, you know, now that you're invested in Bitcoin, you, you have more of an interest in learning about it and taking in more information, et cetera. So what that does, however, is, you know, you can kind of, you can compare that to putting your money in the bank, right? My money's in the bank. I trust that the bank is going to hold it for me. And I trust that the bank is going to release it to me when I ask for it. So if you buy Bitcoin through one of these apps or one of these exchanges, and you just leave your Bitcoin there, it's just like leaving your money at the bank, right? Like it's probably relatively secure, but it's not as secure as it could be. Mm-hmm. If, you know, like if you withdrew all your cash and like put it in between your mattress, that's going to be more secure, right? So again, like initially people getting into it, it's like download the app, just jump, like stick your toe into the ponds and get a little more familiar with it. And then as you learn more about security and privacy, you probably want to get yourself a hardware wallet, um, which the Bitcoin community is kind of trying to change the verbiage around that because it's not really a wallet. It doesn't hold your Bitcoin. Um, it's more of a signing device. So once you have this personal signing device and that's what the 24, uh, word seed phrase is attached to, once you have this signing device, it's impossible for your Bitcoin to be moved without that device in hand. Whereas, you know, if you use like ShakePay as a popular app in Canada for buying, um, you know, if if ShakePay declares bankruptcy on Friday, um, your Bitcoin might be gone, right? So because you're trusting them to hold it for you. Whereas if you hold this signing device yourself, um, it's more secure that way. Uh, You just need to do your due diligence due diligence to make sure that you safely and securely store that device and that you have that seed phrase available if you need it. Um, There are also ways in Canada to purchase Bitcoin without ever giving your name or your address or your email. So there are exchanges that are called peer-to-peer exchanges where you can just log on and create a contract. You know, if you were selling Bitcoin and I was buying, we can jump on, we create a contract. I forward you, you know, an e-transfer and you send me Bitcoin. Um, and none of our personal information is ever exchanged. It takes a little more, again, it takes a little more knowledge. It takes a little more work to obtain Bitcoin in that way. And it's a little more expensive, um, because it's peer to peer. So the person selling it, you know, they're wanting to make a little bit of money on doing that. Right. So essentially like Bitcoin has a phrase called proof of work. So if you want your Bitcoin to be more secure and more private, you have to do the work to make that happen. So again, it's, it's a matter of 
buying some, spending some time in the space. And then, you know, when you bought yours on ShakePay, I said, okay, now go order your signing device, right? Go order your hardware wallet. That's step two. And then you get that. And then you start learning of other ways, you know, you can run your own node so that you can maintain the ledger on your personal computer. Like there's many layers um, to the technology. And I think that's where people can get confused. You know, I'm not a computer programmer, <laughs> so I don't really fully understand all the things that are available and that are being developed. But um, as you spend time in the space and you hang out with experts, you you pick up the pieces that you need to go, oh, I'm going to increase my security by doing this, or I'm going to increase my privacy by doing that. Who made this and why mm -hmm. did they create it? Um, well, uh, someone, something, <laughs> some person, some group of people um, that we refer to as Satoshi Nakamoto created Bitcoin um, back in 2008. Um, two years after he or she or they created it, um, they disappeared. <laughs> so that freaks a lot of people out when they first hear that because we're so used to other people managing, being in char managing our stuff, being in charge of our stuff, right? But that is the failure point. When you trust another human to manage your things, you open yourself up to the vulnerability that they are going to mismanage it. So whoever this person or these people were, um, they recognized that. Like they recognized the fallibility of human nature to want more power, to want more control. So they created this thing. They spent two years, um, you know, working out the bugs, working with other computer programmers to make sure it functioned properly. And then they disappeared. So we don't really know why or how, you know, I'm like, did this guy do a bunch of LSD one day and just, you know, download this information from the universe? I don't know. I kind of like to think about it that way. It's kind of fun. And, and again, for new people, that kind of freaks them out, right? Like, I don't know where this thing came from. Nobody manages it. But to me, that's part of like the gift of it. It's kind of this immaculate conception and people have spent 13 years studying this thing and trying to find its failure points. And there just aren't any, like in its 13 year existence, Bitcoin, the network has never been hacked. There's never been an attack. There's never been money lost. Like it just continues to do its thing. Um, and it's like kind of a miracle <laughs> to be honest. It's, it's a really interesting, um, phenomenon. Yeah. Well, and at this point, if you think your money is safe in the bank or safe in a mutual fund, um, you need to look at some other <laughs> other things because that's that's not true. So it, it also just comes down to the individual's uh, willingness to take on risk. Everything is risky. Nothing is nothing is safe. Nothing is 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when I first bought Bitcoin, I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to invest what I can afford to lose. Right. You hear that a lot, like only invest what you can afford to lose. And 
after only a year in the space, I look at it as the complete opposite. Like I only keep in the bank what I can afford to lose and everything else is in Bitcoin. Mm. Um, again, like just the more you know about it and the more you understand it, the more you understand that it's the most perfect form of money that we've ever had, at least that we know about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's my understanding that this is the nest egg. You put things in Bitcoin and you leave it there. And I think this is where a lot of people get lost. They get frustrated because it's not so easy to buy and sell. It's not so easy to take it out or it does fluctuate. And they, they're, they're treating it like a regular form of fiat. And, and it's just not, you kind of want to just put it there and leave it and let it grow. And it is growing compared to the other cryptocurrencies, which you can absolutely make money at the other types of cryptocurrencies, but because they're tied to the regular system, it's essentially gambling. Like you might as well go to the casino and have some drinks and have some fun because that is what it is. It's just gambling and you can get in and out quickly and you can make some money. And to me, that's the biggest difference, right? Like get Ethereum, buy these like new and wild random coins, buy some NFTs, gamble your money. Bitcoin is for safekeeping and that's the difference. Yeah, you totally nailed it. Um, you know, there are some people in the Bitcoin space that do purchase other cryptocurrencies that do purchase NFTs, but they only do that so they can buy more Bitcoin. <laughs> like that's, and that's why Bitcoin really is in a class of its own. Like I don't refer to Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency. There's cryptocurrency and then there is Bitcoin. Um, because Bitcoin is the best long-term store of value that we've ever had. It is better than gold, right? Up until Bitcoin was created, gold was the best way to, um, keep your savings or to ensure that your savings were going to maintain their value because the supply of gold year over year is only increased by about 1.5%. Like I said, Bitcoin is capped at 21 million. So we are going to get to a point around 2140 where the supply of Bitcoin never increases. <laughs> like it's going to increase by zero. So that's the distinction between the major distinction between Bitcoin and gold. And that's what makes Bitcoin the best long term store of value for sure. Um, as more adoption happens um, if and when hyper Bitcoinization occurs, uh, there will be more everyday spending of Bitcoin. There are people that currently do live on a Bitcoin standard. I know people in Canada that live on a Bitcoin standard. Um, so it's possible. But for the average person like you and me or people that are, you know, kind of just looking into it or just getting started, you want to buy it and hold it, you know, like buy it and just don't ever look at the price. <laughs> That's like save yourself the torment. Or, you know, if you look at the price and you notice it's gone down, buy more, <laughs> you know, because we kind of joke like, you know, Bitcoin doesn't go down in price. It just goes on sale. Um, and right now it is on sale and it is a great time to get in. Um, you know, like if, if you opened up your bank account every day and you saw your savings being devalued every day, which they are, they're just not showing you that. 
right? Mm -hmm. Like imagine how much anxiety you'd have if you opened up your online banking every day and you're like, what? I have a hundred dollars less than yesterday, you know? And that is happening. They're just withholding that information from us. So you can open up your Bitcoin app and go, holy shit, it's down a thousand dollars. But, you know, those fluctuations, that volatility is normal when something is new and as it's undergoing this mass adoption process and that will all level out. And again, by the time that 21 millionth coin is minted, uh, the value is only going to go up from there. Can you explain that to people that their bank account, their regular bank account is going up and down. They just don't know it. They're, it's just not showing them. Yeah. Well, right now it's only going down <laughs> um, because of inflation. So, mm -hmm. you know, gas and food and goods and services don't just cost more money because that's the nature of the cost of goods and services. Like that's just not that's not happening. What's happening is that your dollar has less purchasing power. So inflation is money printing. Mm -hmm. And the more money that is printed, the more worthless it becomes. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you're, if you are, um, you know, how can I relate this easily? Like if you're starving and you and you have a dozen eggs, like each one of those eggs is going to be so, so, so precious. But if you, you know, if you were just in a pie eating contest and, and someone offered you a dozen eggs, you'd probably throw up, right? Like things have value because they are scarce, not mm -hmm. because we have a ton of them, right? So it feels counterintuitive, right? Like you think, oh, the, well, the more dollars that we have, the better, but that's not the case. The more scarce an asset is, the more value it holds. So Bitcoin's scarcity is what makes it value, valuable. And that's what's actually going to have a deflationary effect. So as we approach that 21 million coin cap, and we're pretty darn close already, we're already over 19 million coins, each coin is going to be worth more because every sing every 10 minutes it becomes more scarce. So if one bitcoin, you know, costs a thousand dollars 10 years ago, and 10 years from now, one coin is a million dollars, the purchasing power of that one bitcoin has skyrocketed, right? So it's no longer gonna take. 10 coins to buy a Tesla, it's going to take one coin to buy a Tesla. And that's the deflationary nature of technology. Mm -hmm. Just like how we went from Blockbuster to Netflix, how we went from handwritten letters in the post to email, right? Technology gives humans access to more for less. And that's exactly what Bitcoin is doing. It's just, and, you know, in my mind, that's just what makes Bitcoin natural. Like it's just kind of following the evolutionary trajectory of humans and technology coming together in this really interesting way. 
So let's say I'm an average person and I go, because I'm not average, I'm weird, but <laughs> let's say I have an average bank account. I'm scared to spend money. I have $2,000 of discretionary money, but then I go and look at the price of Bitcoin and I see, oh, it's $30,000 for one Bitcoin. I'm late in the game. I might as well just not participate, right? Yeah, totally. And, and a lot of people feel that way. Um, and I guess, you know, I was thinking about this before we jumped on this podcast. It's kind of an unfortunate name, Bitcoin, <laughs> because all of us, we think of coins as like nickels, dimes, quarters, you know, loonies and toonies. We think, oh, coins are super cheap and I can get a lot of them for not a lot of money. Um, well, and, like Bitcoin started off that way. You know, it used to be like 10 cents a coin. Um, so the thing that people need to know, again, there's only ever going to be 21 million coins and there's 8 billion people on the planet. So the vast majority of people are never going to hold an entire Bitcoin to themselves. Um, and, you know, as the value continues to appreciate, that's going to become more and more true. So, so I don't need to buy a whole Bitcoin. I can correct. buy part of one. Correct. So each coin is divisible. 100 million times. <laughs> so eight decimal places. So those units of account are called Satoshis. So, you know, if you want to look at like one Canadian dollar is divisible into 100 pennies, right? So it's the same thing. One Bitcoin is divisible 100 million times. So again, this is language that is changing in the Bitcoin space the majority of people are only ever going to hold Satoshis. So you may hold 1 million Satoshis or 2 million Satoshis. Um, if all 8 billion people on the planet were, you know, if everything was divided perfectly equally and everybody was given their Bitcoin allocation, every human would have about 200,000 Satoshis. Hmm. So if you currently have a million Satoshis, that's a lot, right? But a million Satoshis is not a lot of one whole Bitcoin. So um, you can put one Canadian dollar into Bitcoin. Hmm. You don't need $40,000 to buy an entire coin. So you see this as a pretty safe investment considering the climate or safer knowing that nothing is really inherently safe but a safer investment than the traditional things that we would normally do cash under the mattress mutual yeah. funds rsps all of these things a hundred percent yeah i mean the long and short of it is you've got the current system you know, you've got your fiat money basket, you've got your Canadian dollars, your US dollars, your stocks, your bonds, you have this basket over here. And then in this other basket, you have Bitcoin, right? So when you study the properties of both, when you look at the history of the fiat basket, and the trajectory that we seem to be on, you know, it's easy to make this simple, you go, hmm, do I 
trust the current system more or do I trust Bitcoin more? Um, and again, it's just a matter of education, conversations. I trust Bitcoin 100% more than the current system. And, you know, it's not just the money. Like in the Bitcoin community, there's a saying, fix the money, fix the world. And that just, it rings so true to me because really, you know, there's that saying like money is the root of all evil, right? Money itself is not inherently evil. Money is just a tool. What becomes evil is the way that it's managed. So our money has created poverty, environmental degradation. It perpetuates the war machine. Like the reason countries go to war is to fuel the economy, right? You've heard of the military industrial complex in the US, I am sure. Like this war in the Ukraine did not come as any surprise to me whatsoever, given the current state of the economy. So, you know, you have that option over there, or you have Bitcoin. And to me, it's a really easy choice. And again, we're watching Bitcoin happen in real time. I cannot sit here and say 100% guarantee this thing's going to work, like no doubt about it, because nobody knows that. Mm. But the choice I've made is like, am I going to continue to live my life invested in this corrupt, dysfunctional system that we currently have? Or am I going to choose this other system that is really offering hope and optimism to humanity. Like this is the way that we change the world. We have to get our money out of the hands of these corrupt governments. Mm -hmm. There is no other choice. Like we can continue to vote. We can continue to protest. We can continue to raise our voices. Abs we, should, we should continue to do those things. But as far as I'm concerned, real change happens when people take back control of their money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you don't even necessarily have to oppose the Keynesian economic system. It only takes witnessing one CPAC video to see how poorly mismanaged our country's finances are. When you have someone like Pierre, confronting our current government in power saying, okay, here's your new $50 billion plan. Where does the money come from? A very simple question that he humorously repeats seven times and our government cannot provide a very simple <laughs> answer. And it's very upsetting to watch these videos. And I've watched them again and again, all sorts of issues. How much does this cost? And our government refuses to answer and they refuse to answer where it comes from, it is as clear as day that they don't actually understand money and economics. It is being mismanaged. We're witnessing this in real time. So whether or not you believe in the economic theory that uh, Bitcoin supports or the Keynesian, the people who are in control of it are, are messing it up. You, you can't ignore that. It's, it's going nowhere fast and we're in trouble your average like my children I, I was having a conversation with them the other day about like working hard they're being lazy something simple like cleaning their room and i said 
you are going to have to work your ass off in life. You are going to have to excel in school. You are going to need the highest degree possible or just be phenomenally good at whatever job you choose because you are going to have to make so much money in order to buy a home. The world is different from, it's going to be different for you. My parents bought their house for $60,000 or something ridiculous. Uh, this is a new world and we're in trouble. And I, and I don't believe socialism is the answer. I don't believe communism is the answer, um, but self-sovereignty is. And anyone that's a freedom fighter, anyone that recognizes government overreach, this is a key step. You need to understand how to preserve wealth. So not only making money, you can make all the money you want. If you're not preserving it, it's worthless. So this is something at least to investigate. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've gone back and forth. I'm like, is our government really stupid or really nefarious? Right? Like, if I had to choose one or the other, and I kind of waffle back and forth based on the day, but you know, the reason why they won't answer those questions is because they don't want to tell us the truth. They don't, they don't want the people to know that we are stealing your time. Like we are stealing your lives. You are paying for that. Because if the people heard that, if the people heard those words come out of Justin Trudeau's mouth, you know, there'd be pitchforks and torches on Parliament Hill, you know, within a matter of minutes, like, Mm -hmm. They don't tell the truth because they don't want us to know the truth, right? And just like you said about your kids, that's exactly it. Like, this isn't, you know, I don't even have kids, but I am choosing this for the future of humanity. Like, this is the, as far as I'm concerned, this is the only way out. This is the only way for your kids to not have to work their asses off, to not have to be like, we're not here on this planet to like pay bills and die. Right. Isn't that the saying like in our, the majority of our history, humans worked an average of like two to three hours a day, you know, hunting and gathering the rest of the time. What were we doing? We were living community. We were singing, we were dancing, we were creating, we were inventing things. Right. It's again, it's only been in these last hundred years that, all we do is work. Like we eat, we sleep, we work. And that's, that's all. So if we don't want that to be the same for our children or worse, the way things are going, we have to make a different choice. Right. Mm -hmm. And at least, you know, if you make this choice for Bitcoin and maybe Bitcoin doesn't work, at least you can say that you tried to do something Mm -hmm. because not, not making the choice is a choice. (laughs) You know, if if you do nothing, then you are choosing the old system. And I don't know anybody that has children today that is not worried about the future of their kids. Yeah. And I think it's important to realize that there is so much that we can do to move ourselves forward and to take our power back. Because unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are awake to the current circumstance and are deciding to check out as a self-preservation strategy and 
or they just feel overwhelmed, right? I, I don't know what to do. And this is actually a very practical step to move you forward and to take your power back, to not be fearful, to move yourself forward. It's just, it's one more thing. And there's a lot of us growing gardens right now. There's a lot of people protesting. There's people getting involved in politics and joining their school boards, all amazing things. But money, this is really how you absolutely take your power back. It's a, it's a necessary step. Exactly. And, you know, since the beginning of human history, we've always had a representation of money. Again, like money just represents invested energy. So there's people that say, oh, we just need to do away with money completely. We need to go back to a barter system. And, you know, maybe like, I'm sure that will be part of it. But the truth is, is that we are always going to need money. We're always going to need a way to obtain goods and services that we cannot provide or produce for ourselves, right? So let us choose a money that respects energy and like respects human life and respects the planet at the same time. Like we, everything is so abundant. You know, I was sitting on this river you know, the edge of a river for the last couple of days, just watching the power and the energy contained in this river. And it's like, the earth is so abundant in energy. It's so abundant in resources, but because of our money, we have this mindset of scarcity. Like there's never enough. There's never enough. We have to spend, we have to consume, we have to exploit. We don't, right. That's that Keynesian system. Like we only maintain the economy through spending. It's like, no, we don't need to do that. We have enough. What we need is a money that honors the energy of all things, humans, the planet, you know, all of it. And that's what Bitcoin does. And choose your heart. Like uh, there's a lot of people that have dipped their toe into this, thought, nah, it's too confusing. I don't feel like learning this. I'm going to get out. Well, there is no easy way out. So choose your heart. Either you're a, a victim to the system and just letting the government spend your money or you invest the time to learn this. So for me, it seems like a non-negotiable to invest the time in learning this and at least putting something there it's going to be hard like people desire comfort and we don't all enjoy hard work i don't enjoy working out sometimes i don't enjoy eating the way i do sometimes and i need to to have a healthy body you know therapy is work we need to do that kind of hard work this is another one of those things I, it's a requirement for life and that's we're kind of watching society like get more and more comfortable, take care of me, take care of me. I don't want to do the hard work. And that's a big problem because a people value what they work really hard for. And it's a necessity for life. We can't avoid that. So I think it's worth the effort right now. Exactly. And that's, you know, there's a lot of like mainstream narrative. Bitcoin is bad for the environment. And, you know, the long and short of that is, again, I mentioned proof of work earlier. So yes, it takes energy to create Bitcoin. However, Bitcoin 
maintains, it preserves that energy. Whereas the fiat system exploits energy out of the environment and never gives it back. It only takes more, right? And that's what inflation does. So that's proof of work in a nutshell. It's like, you don't get to be an Olympic athlete by going for, you know, by working out one hour a week, you work out every single day for, you know, three to four hours, you put the energy in to get the results out. And Bitcoin is the exact same, you know, and like energy is everything, everything, you know, if, if you're concerned about energy usage in the environment, then you better unplug your refrigerator. You better stop using your washing machine. You better not watch Netflix every day. You better stop driving your car. Like everything is energy, energy in energy out. It's all cyclical. And like I said, we are living in an, on an abundant planet. What we need, we can continue to use energy, but we need to honor that energy. And that's a major difference between Bitcoin and fiat money. Fiat money honors nothing. (laughs) So yeah, don't listen to the mainstream fear, uncertainty, and doubt when it comes to Bitcoin and the environment. Mm-hmm. because Bitcoin like fix the problem or fix the money, fix the world. Like Bitcoin offers Bitcoin is actually the, if, if we're concerned about climate change and, and green energy and like, this is a whole other conversation, but Bitcoin actually holds the solution to climate change. Mm-hmm. It's a whole other conversation. We won't get into it now, but <laughs> Another podcast. You know, yeah, I mean, I'm sure your listeners are are intelligent enough to know that like probably whatever you're hearing through the mainstream news, it's probably the truth is probably the opposite. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, well, thank you for this conversation. Can you uh, just finish up by telling us like how, how do you work in this realm? What, what do you do for people that are uh, interested in, in learning about Bitcoin? Yeah. Well, the crazy thing is, is like, I never, you know, when I first got into Bitcoin, I never thought I'm going to work in Bitcoin. (laughs) I actually, I'm actually a death doula. Um, I actually work with people um, that are at their end of life. Um, But I think it's because I wasn't intentionally trying to do anything with Bitcoin that I'm now doing things in Bitcoin. Uh, And I'm so passionate about it. And it's brought so much like I said, hope and optimism for the future into my life. I don't know what kind of mental, emotional, spiritual state I would be in currently if it weren't for Bitcoin over the last year. It's really been a life raft. So, you know, I am just here in service to other people in this space. Um, I have a podcast called Death and Bitcoin on Spotify and I host Bitcoin webinars, like Bitcoin for beginners, so that people can, again, like, if you're learning about Bitcoin, and you're horribly confused, you're probably listening to the wrong thing. You know, like, you need to understand money first, and then take it from there. So I host webinars so that people have a clear picture of how did we get here in the first place? Because you can only really appreciate Bitcoin once you understand that. Um, and I also coach people. So I do like one-on-one zoom calls. I help, I just 
you know, give people information. I help them to understand this in a way that I hope makes sense. And I help people actually buy their first Bitcoin. Amazing. Or, Sato- or Satoshis, as the case may be. <laughs> Amazing. So yeah, you're educating people. You're not taking their money and investing it for them. You're helping to teach them how to do it themselves. Again, another step towards being sovereign. That is the whole point. Yes. If you ever come across someone who's like, give me your money and I'll put it in Bitcoin for you. Do not give your money to that person. Like that is the antithesis of why we have Bitcoin. Yes. I've had those people show up in my Instagram DMs. The big warning out there too. There are very, very big Bitcoin accounts on Instagram with people with copycat accounts and they might even have huge followings and if anyone ever reaches out to you and asks and says that they can help you and that you should just give them this information, that's not a real thing. So Bitcoin is all around the idea of self-sovereignty. No one's going to take this and do it for you. There are like investors in like the real world that are legitimate, but if someone's writing you on Instagram, it's, it's not real. Don't give them your money, please. That's a good thing to mention. Yeah. Like a legitimate Bitcoiner would never, never (laughs) DM you and ask you for your money. No. Yeah. Awesome, Aaron. Well, thank you for uh, joining me. We're definitely going to have you uh, back because there's so much to learn. There's so much to learn. This is just like the icing on the cake and know that you don't need to know everything start today you could literally take a hundred dollars and get an app like shake pay and just dip your toe in and just start getting used to it while you learn and then the learning is is a long process and that's okay but it's something worth investigating today definitely yeah and you know depending on people's preferred medium of learning um, you know, there's my podcast and, and my first two podcasts are what is money? That's episode one. And what is Bitcoin <laughs> is episode two. Um, and then the Bitcoin standard is like the Bitcoin Bible. Um, for the first eight chapters, he doesn't even mention the word Bitcoin. You just learn about money. And, you know, speaking as somebody who I always avoided money. I avoided the subject of money. I had absolutely no interest, you know, and a lot of us have this dysfunctional relationship with money. So if you think, oh, I don't want to read a book about money, trust me, you will find it. I was fascinated. Like I could not believe the things that I learned in that book. So if you're a reader, go grab that book. It's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to buy some more Bitcoin today. I'm going to put it in my Woo. account. <laughs> every day stock those stats <laughs> awesome Aaron. um i will link where people can find you in the show notes and uh hopefully we'll have you back again here sometime soon for sure i would love to thank you we'll talk to you soon bye bye